Welcome to Career Renovators Express. Hi, I'm Christian Peterson. It's great that you've decided to have a look at our free videos. We're convinced you'll get a lot out of them. In this century, securing your career requires a fresh approach. Knocking up a CV is a good start, but it's not enough, not really. You must be able to adapt, modify and renovate your career quickly as the career market changes. In this program, you'll hear how Bev Brock handled and is still handling a significant life change, including renovating her career. Bev Brock, welcome to Career Innovators Express. We're here today to get an idea of the life, the major life challenges that you've faced. And I understand it started in your 20s. Until then, I had a blessed upbringing in very simple country surroundings. But at uh, 20, almost 21, I had a, uh, a situation where I crushed two vertebrae in my neck and damaged five spots in my spine. So I'd always been a very active sports person and suddenly I was faced with the prospect of being a quadriplegic, uh, living my life as a cripple, and that wasn't a very enticing thought for me. And the doctors weren't very kind to you either. <laughs> the doctors had a philosophy that with the injuries I had, that I was going to be uh, a cripple, that I'd never play sport, I'd never have kids, I'd never do many things. And somehow I'd been brought up not to listen to the wisdom of those around me. I just did my own thing. I was innately following what my body was telling me. And I, when I finally got... Uh, you know, I went through a stage where I was in traction, where I had plaster from my head to my waist, where I had one of those collars that you screw up the height of your neck. And the day that I took the collar off, I went and played a full game of basketball that night because I figured that if I was going to die, I was going to die doing the things I loved. So I ended up water skiing and doing all those things again that I had done before. Some people might have called that stubborn. <laughs> stubborn, but it depends upon what you see your quality of life. For me, quality of life is the most important thing. What's the point in living half an existence? I listened to my body, and when I wanted to do something physical, I did it. I, um, if I felt it was time to have a quiet time, I did that too. I was a science teacher. I was a home economist, so diet was a, a very important part of my life, and I understood the physiology that healthy eating has. I also had been a keen sportswoman, so I understood the need for physical activity and keeping the body working. A few years later, I started losing the use of my arms because the neck had calcified. They wanted to cut the calcification out and put rods through my neck, but I knew that if they did that, it would transfer down my spine. I'd end up with a rod through my spine, so I would end up doing exactly what they'd said I would do. So found a good chiropractor. I took up yoga and did meditation. I do Pilates. So every day of my life, I start with 10 minutes of a, a physical activity that combines all aspects of that. It sounds as though you experience pain. <laughs> pain in a level that you can't believe. But what the, then made you keep going? There must have been moments you say, look, this is all too much. There was. When I had my kids and I was told I shouldn't have kids, I'd find I'd bend over to pick them up and then couldn't stand up. And so at one stage I was having to sit on the bed to put my shoes on. I thought, I can't live like this. I was at that stage under regular chiropractic care and thought, no, I'm not going to spend my life in somebody else's hands. This is time for me to take responsibility for myself. And that's when I explored and took up uh, yoga took up uh, Pilates, took up meditation. And since then, I've probably been to a chiropractor twice in the last 10 years. 
I can do more, I have greater flexibility, I can do more with my body than I could before I had my accident. So it's, it's a determination to be in charge of how I live my life. Tears? Oh, uh, initially tears, but nothing but joy ever since. Now let's move to another part of your life, and that was your time with Peter Brock, the uh, rally driver, the, um, the hill, Bathurst, <laughs> and basically a celeb life. Tell us about that life. Well, I'd gone from having a complete life of, of being in the quiet, of, of country, simple, no profile at all, to suddenly being with somebody who was loved dearly, who had the most amazing success rate, who was an incredible person. The person I saw was completely different to the public persona. He was a very uh, insecure, gentle, naive, compassionate, giving soul. But the public persona was this incredibly confident, capable uh, compassionate, um, amazingly alive person. So uh, he he trusted me completely in life skills. So you know we we went on a journey together where he grew very much as a person. He made his choices, and that was you know I saw myself very much as a supportive role, but thrust into a public lifestyle that I had no experience for. So I had to remake myself yet again. Glamorous, entertaining, a list, all of that. How do you handle that? Initially, I I hid uh, until I had we had our first child, and I was given the choice: either you agree to an interview with the child in New Idea, or you go into the truth. The choice was simple: it was New Idea. Truth was a rag. A rag, a, a, a newspaper that uh, looked at the seamy side of life, and so it was a very simple choice. New Idea sounded really good, and it brought me out into the public in a way that uh, you couldn't really. Foretell. I mean, it was just an enormous change. So I've always been an independent, capable person. I thought, well, this is just another you know, step up the pyramid. I had met so many really wonderful, high-profile people who you realise, irrespective of what the public thinks, they are mere mortals like the rest of us, trying to do their best, often failing but putting on the public persona. And they, it's even tougher for them. It's almost a karmic experience because... They can't afford to fail. They're constantly having to put up this facade. They're not game to be who they really are. Is that a pressure? It's a bit like the recent singer that committed suicide under pressure to produce the next hit. Absolutely. And if if they don't have the support base there that allows them to be themselves in those quiet times, they will not survive. It is, and I, I can tell you, I've met royalty, I've met performers, top sports people, I've met the A-lists of every walk of life and from most countries in the world. And they are no different. They are all trying to be the best they can be, but they are, have the human foibles. They're, they're just like everybody else. And so they need somebody there who supports them and encourages them to be who they truly are. And I had 28 years of that amazing life. And, and I have to say, I grew enormously in that, but I shared that journey with Peter. Just quickly, can you give us a snapshot of how you grew? Each challenge that comes to you, you think, and some of the challenges were enormous, you think you can, you know, absolutely crash, give up, curl up in a ball in bed and not get out of bed. Or you can say, okay, what's this showing me? So it doesn't matter what challenge I faced, it's simply provided me with another tool to learn to say, okay, I need to develop another skill to get over this. You must constantly be evolving. Can you give me an example of that? At one stage, because 
Peter's diet changed under my guidance and he became a vegan, a committed vegan. The media wrote us up as being into, I was into witchcraft and we were supposed to wear orange robes and sleep under pyramids and all of this weird Tambourine. stuff. Yeah, all of this. And you sit there and think, all I've done is change my diet. I'm listening to what my body says. If I'm going to get the best from it and if Peter's going to get the best and be able to sustain himself through endurance racing, then he has to take care of what he puts into his body. And for him, it was becoming a vegan and uh, eating properly and, and, and that threatened people so much that they had to make something enormous out of it and you, look at it, you have to laugh you have to laugh at that stuff because you realise that it's people's fears their own insecurities are becoming to the fore and now the very journalists that crucified us at the time come up and say well obviously you're looking good so what is it you're doing and you, if you try and tell them they say but I couldn't do that and I said, no but it's not done overnight this is incremental, this is gradual you do step at a time Change is incremental. If you took it all on at once, you'd become you'd a, a bull in a yeah. china shop. And you would fail because you cannot do it overnight. It must be step by step. You must see the wisdom of each step. And actually, as you've completed each step, you suddenly, and you move on to the next, you suddenly realise the first one has no relevance. But you've got to do it to find that out. There are wannabes and people who th- have hope but take no action. But it appears the course to success is being the quiet achiever, step at a time. Step at a time. Life is like a pyramid, this enormous base that has unlimited possibilities. When you're a child, you have this enormous range of possibilities. And every time you try something, every time you fail, it's not a failure, it's simply another step up the pyramid. You look at it, what did I learn from it? How's it helping me to grow? Where do I need to go from here? And you step closer and closer to the pinnacle. 28 years and it all ended. It did. It must have been a huge, huge letdown. It was incredibly sad, but I loved that guy enough to want to see him happy and do the things that were going to make him happy. I didn't want to. I don't believe in ownership. I don't believe in tying one down. And what I could do is look at that and say, this was not my shortcoming. This was not my failing. He simply wanted to step out into an area, and I knew that that was not going to be in his highest good, that he was going to have enormous lessons in that. But that was his journey, and you had to encourage him to do it. For me... It was about saying, okay, would I have done anything differently? No, I wouldn't have. Did I let myself down? No, I didn't. So, Did you cry? Me, oh, absolutely. Pain. I have three kids. Because you I sounded a, a bit angelic. No, 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 no. You do. You, and you look and you think, absolute frustration. How can you be so stupid? Because he knew the philosophy. We had talked over the years. He knew all of the stuff and suddenly he was going against it. But that was his journey. And did I want to go down that journey too? No, I wanted to step forward into something better. So sure there was pain, there is always pain with change. There was an acrimonious court case after Peter's death, which lasted how many years? Still lasts. Still Still continues. So that's part of your life, dealing with that. You also have a philanthropic bent to you and are on a number of boards. You're giving of yourself. Was that to get approval? No, I don't believe it. Peter used to say to me that I was the typical martyr and that would upset me because I don't see myself as a martyr. I simply enjoy helping other people. I always have. It's been an innate thing in me. My brothers and sisters resented me as a kid because I used to go and do jobs for the old ladies next door and run missions and therefore I was allowed to use the one bike our family had. And I used to, and I was a goody two-shoes at school. There's something about innately in me that wanted to be... A value in the community and it's not that I get other people's approval I don't care about that it's what I feel about myself and so 
I'm on, and I have been, you know, we started up the Peter Brock Foundation. I'm on a number of other boards. I'm patron for, I'm on, you know, various committees. And it makes your life worthwhile if you think you're doing something positive on this earth. There's not much point in it otherwise. It's not all about self. It's about a greater community. And so, yes, I do all that, but I also have come to the understanding that the more you do for people, the more they expect. And so if at some point in time you don't stop and say, okay, what about me, which is probably where I'm at at present, it's time. It's not that I will stop doing, but I will just do less and change because first and foremost, my family must be considered. So you're really looking at reinventing yourself to a certain extent and really a career change. You've been through a few. <laughs> uh, have you got clarity on your direction yet? Not completely, no. I just know that it must change. I am currently a carer for an 86-year-old and a terminally ill friend. Until those two drop off the perch, which I don't want to see happen, but will happen inevitably, I my time is not available to change completely. So I'm sort of in a holding pattern to a certain extent with the ideas rummaging around about how I take the things I do and change them into a direction whereby I give myself a financial security in a way that still is satisfying that philanthropic and passionate side of me, but providing stability in my financial future. So do you want a job? I do, not 24-7. I'm at that age where I'd like to do part-time. I do part-time anyhow. I, I do some contracts. I you know, public speak. I work with people. I've taught life skills. So... It's so a that's a service model rather service than a model, job. But it's how you then take it and make it into a way that brings you a return that makes your life viable. Have you thought about how you're going to scale this up? Well, for so long I did uh, ran classes on life skills and did public speaking in that area. I have written a book in that particular area that I will I want to do online. But I also want to look at, um, and I used to run retreats and, and organise, and it's, it's how I take those various things and put them into a package that scales it up, as you put it. So that is in the formative stage, and like everybody else out there, I evolve, I'm changing, I'm taking the skills that I've gained over the years, see how I use those to step forward into the next phase of who I am. Also, your celebrity reputation is a great help. It does open doors, but it does bring you under a certain amount of public scrutiny. So it's a matter of, you know, everything has its flip side, so it's a matter of how I take that. I don't like being portrayed out there as this public person without substance. It's, you know, to me, it's got to be somebody who contributes something to this earth, otherwise there's not much point in it. Slightly off topic, but I found it absolutely fascinating. You spoke about, off microphone, about emotional intelligence. And you used the word, there is a dark side to EI. Can you tell us about that? Look, it doesn't matter what personality type we are. You can be the creative genius. You can be the charismatic leader. You can work from emotional intelligence. You can be any one of a numerous range of things. Every personality profile has a shadow side. And as soon as we are put under pressure of any sort, any stress we tend to revert to that shadow side. So, you know, you can end up playing the poor me. You can end up playing, if, if you're the absolute perfectionist, you'll end up being the failure. I haven't done it good enough. I'm not good enough. I must try. You never achieve perfection. Is that that little voice in your head? Yeah, constantly. It's that innate words that rattle around that you, you know, you go to sleep at night and there they are 
I didn't do that good enough. I'm not good enough. The emotional intelligence, I'm not being supportive enough for that person. What have I got to do to make them feel good about who they are? All of us, you could be a team player and, and, and suddenly somebody in the team fails and you take on personal responsibility. It's that shadow side that comes to the fore when things aren't working right. And it's that that you've got to master in order to grow. How have you mastered it? Sheer bloody determination. (laughs) (laughs) It's looking and saying, I'm in charge of my life. Nobody else controls it. So I have to take full responsibility. And what do I do now to change the things I don't like? Bev Brock, thank you for speaking to Career Innovators Express. And I hope we hear a lot more about your ventures. Thank you. My pleasure. Bev Brock, truly inspiring. Bev's an author, professional speaker, grandmother, and many things more. On the 8th of September 2006, her partner of 28 years, Peter Brock, died doing what he loved, racing cars professionally. In the next podcast, we'll hear from Karen Bruno, who was a social worker in aged care. Karen decided to get her hands dirty to create a career she loves. Cheers from me, Christian Peterson, and from Wes Ward. Wes is the good-looking guy in our videos.